It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, September 5th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jim. Did you know that some of the people who experience the highest risk of workplace violence include healthcare workers? The California Report covers new developments in the implementation of a state bill that would take steps to physically protect employees in their workplaces. Then, after a look at upcoming local weather, hydrogeologist Steve Baker explores the complicated task of water management in the latest installment of Water News. We close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. People who live behind a vast number of aging levees in the United States are more likely to be people of color and have less education compared to those who don't. And that leaves them more vulnerable to flooding and the impacts of climate change. Those are the findings of a new study from the American Geophysical Union, as Emily Zetner of the California Newsroom reports. About two-thirds of people in the U.S. live in counties protected by a levee. Levees are meant to reduce flood risk, but they're notoriously precarious. A new study looked at who is more likely to live behind levees. It found that Hispanic people are the most overrepresented race or ethnicity. Ann Willis is with the environmental advocacy group American Rivers. She says experts have known about these disparities anecdotally, but... A study like this gives us data that we can point to to say not only is it something that we think we perceive in our day-to-day observations, but it is real. Living behind a levee has become even more risky as the climate changes. For the California Report, I'm Emily Zentner in Grass Valley. The Orange County Bar, which was the site of a mass shooting nearly two weeks ago, reopened this past weekend. Among the events at Cook's Corner in Chabuco Canyon was a benefit concert by the band M Street, which was at the bar the night of August 23rd when the shooting took place. Guitarist Ed Means was among those injured. He spoke to KTLA Television. It's an opportunity for us to kind of create a little bit of light in an otherwise pretty dark story here. Three people died in the shooting and six others were injured. A state bill that would require many employers in all kinds of industries to take steps to protect workers from violence at their jobs has cleared a key hurdle and is headed for a full vote at the Assembly. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero reports. During her decades-long career, psychiatric nurse Rachel Cohen Cepeda saw terrible assaults on co-workers at different hospitals in the San Francisco Bay Area, usually by patients. It just wasn't safe, she says. People were getting beat down, like head smashed into the floor, chased, battered. Patients would attack other patients. Those are just some of the war stories she can share. Nationwide, some of the people at highest risk of experiencing workplace violence include healthcare workers and others who have regular contact with volatile or unstable people. A few years back, nurses' unions fought for protections, like requiring healthcare employers in California to implement plans to prevent and also respond to violent incidents. And they must develop those with input from workers. Now, Cohen Cepeda's unit at a UCSF psychiatric hospital has a security guard in the building, and there's a lot more employee training. We have a way to talk about what's going on that's taken seriously. I don't think everything is fixed already. It's a work in progress, 
but it's a complete change of culture from you're a nurse, you're a human punching bag, what do you expect, to, oh, this is not acceptable. But these reforms just cover health care. State Senator Dave Cortesi from San Jose wants to bring similar requirements to all other industries. He felt he needed to come up with legislation after the horrific mass shooting in San Jose at the Valley Transportation Authority rail yard in 2021. Here's a KQED newscast from that day. As we've heard on the national newscast, a public transit employee took the lives of eight co-workers and his own early this morning at a light rail yard in downtown San Jose. Senator Cortesi recalls hearing from first responders that they couldn't get into the building right away while the shooter was still active because they didn't have an access key card. And it was one of the victims who ended up helping co-workers escape through a window from the second floor before he was killed. Had there been a plan in place ahead of time that everyone understood that this is how you get out of the second floor if there's an intruder or an emergency that closes off access the other way, it could have saved lives. SB 553 resembles closely the requirements the healthcare industry already follows, developing a plan, keeping a log of violent incidents, training employees, and also including their input. State regulators at Kalosha have been crafting rules, but they've taken six years so far, delayed in large part by the pandemic. It's not a good thing when you have violence spiking up and people losing their lives. The California Chamber of Commerce fought the bill while representing a long list of industries. They argued in part it'd be unfeasible for small businesses and costly for employers. But after the measure was amended to exclude workplaces with fewer than 10 employees that are not accessible to the public, the chamber is expected to pull back from its opposition. Robert Mutri is a policy advocate with the Chamber of Commerce. There's no one uh, in our coalition who in any way thinks that workplace violence is not a terrible thing, right? But the issue has been, how do we make sure that what the requirements we're putting on businesses and public entities and employers are feasible to do and realistic? But for Rachel Cohen-Cepeda back at UCSF, what's realistic is expecting there to be more violence in workplaces across California. She says the state needs to put laws in place to force more employers to acknowledge the situation and try to do something about it. There's costs to letting this violence go on. We're such a more reactive than proactive society. You know, let's start looking at how we can nip it in the bud. If approved by lawmakers and the governor, SB 553 would go into effect in July of 2024. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation. Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org/lbca. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org.
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, September 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, on August 31st, 20-year-old Junior Alexander Cruz Valle was arrested for illegal cultivation of cannabis. Members from the Nevada County Sheriff's Office Special Investigations Unit, California Fish and Wildlife, Department of Cannabis Compliance, Nevada County Code Enforcement, and Army National Guard responded to the 13,000 block of Simple Justice Creek Road in Penn Valley at 9 a.m. for the execution of a search warrant. They made contact with Cruz Valle on the property and, during the search, located 1,900 unpermitted outdoor marijuana plants, an abundance of processed cannabis, and two firearms. All of the plants were subsequently destroyed, while the firearms and processed cannabis were seized as evidence. The suspect was booked into Wayne Brown Correctional Facility on a $10,000 bond, and the case remains under investigation. Pivoting now to road news, Caltrans is reminding motorists of lane closures and delays along Interstate 80 at various locations in Nevada County, all of which will begin next week. Crews will begin repairs between Kingvale and Boca starting at 8 p.m. tonight, and lane closures will be in place around the clock until noon this Friday, September 8th. What exactly do those repairs consist of, you ask? Well, concrete slab replacement will take place between Boca and State Route 267. Crews will perform wheel track repairs in Truckee and move west toward Kingvale. For these projects, delays could range between 30 to 45 minutes and up to an hour during peak traffic. Individual slab replacement will also take place in Kingvale, moving east toward Truckee. Delays along this stretch will range between 20 to 30 minutes and up to 50 minutes during peak traffic. Additional work near the Tahoe-Truckee area is expected to start Monday, September 11th. Once repairs are underway at all five locations, motorists may experience a maximum delay of up to two hours. Caltrans claims that it's performed an extensive field review of the I-80 corridor earlier this year, finding a, quote, unprecedented amount of damage. Several areas exhibit moderate to high levels of rutting due to chain wear and need immediate repair. Five emergency contracts were executed for the repairs, totaling $84.4 million. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 57. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 80. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 56. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 43. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 70. And Wednesday night, clear with a low around 40. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, clear with a low around 59. Friday, sunny with a high near 88. And Friday night, clear with a low around 59. And you're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The idea of foreign countries misusing our water resources isn't exactly a new one. You might be surprised to hear, though, about how much water we're talking about, sometimes even as much as over 3,000 gallons per minute. Coming up, hydrogeologist Steve Baker talks with Paul Emery about water management and how mismanagement has the potential to cause deep problems. 
The Water News is sponsored by Clearwater and Filtration, offering solutions for water quality, well operations, maintenance, and water storage management problems. Steve, sometimes I wonder if the West is managing our water in a healthy way. Have you spent much time thinking about the decisions that are being made in water management? Paul, I, I really have. I tend to list what I think are goals in managing water in terms of, of these things. Fairness, equity, and then also the functionality of our communities. You know, the basic functions, food, water, and power being the, the three primaries. And then I prioritize community functions in a way that creates as much certainty as possible in those things that are most important to us. So... Uh, one thing to reflect on is you're not really a healthy community if your environment's falling apart. So we have to th- always consider the environment in, in these decisions. And then the other way to look at the same thing is, you know, healthy communities thrive in a healthy environment. Very, very true. You know, when, some people tend to hear that in one way and others in another. But, you know, there there is a key difficulty, and that difficulty is in that certainty element. Um, it's hard to have certainty with a lot of this because the hydrologic system, water demands, the economics, they're all dynamic. They're always changing. And so because of these changes, most of which are not predictable, it makes it difficult to make good long-term and sometimes short-term decisions. So, you know, how much we stretch ourselves in committing water resources, that's important to consider. You know, because of the uncertainties, we want to have some flex. And where are our blind spots? I ask myself that. Where are our blind spots that get us in trouble at times? Steve, uh, while you're while talking about blind spots, I've heard there's concerns in Arizona that foreign countries are misusing our water resources. Yeah, I'm talking about the Saudi-owned dairy companies as an example. They're growing alfalfa and hay for livestock, all right? And then they're sending it back to the the motherland. They're sending it back to the Gulf Kingdom. Now, these actions, they they finally got on Arizona's radar about 10 years ago. The Arizona public, when they found out about this, they were not pleased because their framework in viewing it is that the foreign-owned companies are using groundwater— during epic droughts, we're supposed to be behaving and watching very carefully, and it's not happening. And on top of that, it's free. It's free for those the people down there to use that water. Uh, Arizona, they're already suffering with their own water shortages, and they've even restricted some of their crops. And on top of that, the Colorado River is providing less water to the state, and the Colorado River is the primary water resource. So they're in a real pickle. And then we have these foreign companies that are basically exporting water from Arizona. So that, that's been a major bone of contention more, most recently. There are 14 states in our country that have restrictions on foreign ownership of farmland. Is this happening in California, Steve? Uh, yeah, it is happening. Foreign countries are attracted to our, our state because we have good water rights. We have the overlying groundwater right as far as groundwater goes. And we have these, uh, you know, our, our strong senior groundwater right also is, uh, is quite strong. Uh, one example would be Palo Verde Valley. Okay, they get their water from the Colorado River. So it's down in Southern California. Now, that water right that they are hanging on is dated 1877. Okay, that's really old. That's back in the days when, when the settlers staked their first claim here in California. 
Then there are also spots in the Imperial Valley, also, you know, near Salton Sea, down way down there in Southern uh, California. And what they're doing down there is uh, companies are packaging hay into ship-ready bales. And then, of course, off they go to Saudi Arabia. Now, I mean, I am aware of two companies. One is called Al Marai Company, and the other one is called Al Dara ACX Global. And that one is located in, in Bakersfield, California. So I, I really don't know if California, however, is, is restricting foreign use or not. I think it's an economics game at this point. But one thing's for sure, uh, California is letting big money buy ag land right now. Is this happening to large areas or small scattered ag land? Well, here's an example. A couple months back, Flannery Associates bought land near Travis Air Force Base. Okay, that's Solano County. They bought it for $800 million. And we're talking about, uh, let's see, something like 55,000 acres. So I'd say these are large parcels <laughs> that are suddenly being owned by very, very large, uh, you know, lo- landowners who are quite, um, you know, they have, they have a lot of finance going on. So now in that particular area, they, meaning Flannery Associates, are the largest landowners of ag land in that county, in Solano County. The financial backing, think about it, financial backing on that particular deal, it came from Mike Mortis. He's the former head of Sequoia Capital. It came from LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman. came from former Netscape co-founder Mark Anderson. And also Laureen Powell Jobs. Remember that name? Steve Jobs' ex-wife. She's a founder of Emerson Collective. It's a philanthropic enterprise. So, yeah, big money's going after it. So I think the writing is on the wall as far as where financial certainty will be in our futures. That's what this tells me. It's ag. Now, the message for us up here in the foothills is let's hold on to as many of as our farms of our farms as possible here in the foothills and work with them to make sure that they have the water that they need to grow our food. It's really important. Steve, thanks thanks a lot. This is a very interesting um, story today. Yeah, I was amazed to have uh, discovered this. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Wildfire in California has changed, and as a result, so has the very foundation of fire insurance for homes. From the complicated underbelly of that new foundation, rich with quotes and requirements and costs, the California Fair Plan was born. Up next, Mark Cunaberti brings us a commentary in which he gives us the rundown on his thoughts about the plan and its functions. Welcome to another edition of Mighty Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Five years ago, I started hearing stories about people having their fire insurance canceled after hearing repeated complaints. I finally decided to stop scratching my head and find out what was happening and why so many owners were losing coverage. Obviously, what I did not know but soon found out was that insurance companies whose balance sheets were being scorched by massive wildfire losses were pulling out of fire-prone communities in mass as wildfires began 
became a horrific and reoccurring event, more and more companies canceled the fire portion of their policies and in some cases withdrew from certain regions altogether. As homeowners panicked in the scramble for coverage, calls to insurance agents and their agencies accelerated, whereas before insurance agencies saw a good portion of their policies automatically renew, now the number of phone calls increased dramatically and with each phone call came a request for a quote. Making matters worse, many homeowners sought out multiple quotes. This spike in the number of quotes soon reached a fever pitch and customer service response plummeted. One agency was rumored to have a recorded answering machine saying if you weren't a current customer, don't bother leaving a number. At that time, my insurance agency that I own did not sell fire insurance. When I heard more and more stories about homeowners not being able to get answers in a timely fashion and then my insurance was canceled, I scrambled to obtain the property and casualty licenses so we could add fire insurance to our repertoire. It was then I found out just how dire the situation was becoming around 2019 when we started advertising we were offering new fire insurance policies. The amount of phone calls lit up the switchboard and hammered the email servers into overdrive. With the inquiries came a massive undertaking of quoting policy after policy only to find out the hit rate per quote was becoming somewhat less than desirable. As we struggled to keep up, the calls kept on coming. Although we strive for our customer service to be at the highest level and return all calls, the workload for some agencies may have simply become unmanageable. The following few years did see a reduction in inquiries somewhat and obtaining coverage, even though expensive, was possible. Most customers in fire-prone areas could get coverage by buying two policies. A difference in condition policy, also known as a app, which is a policy that covered most perils except fire and a few other things that are related to fire. This left the need for fire coverage and plugging the holes in the coverages that the wrap policy did not cover, and that is where CalFair comes in. I can best explain CalFair as an entity that contains all the insurance companies that provide property and casualty insurance in the state, smooshed all together in sort of a forced financial marriage with each other, the combined companies sharing the profits and sharing the losses from the perils that they cover, fire being the main one. It operates as one large entity with the combined financial strength of all the companies in it, which is probably necessary due to the financial devastation a large wildfire can cause. Besides pricing objections, homeowners could still get coverage with a wrap policy by a standard insurer, coupled with a fire policy from CalFair. Although there were many individual companies that would offer the limited wrap coverages, after a while, even some of those companies started pulling out of California. Fast forward to today and more and more of the individual insurance companies that don't even cover fire are pulling out of the state. That means if a homeowner can obtain a Cal Fire policy, they may still be finding it harder and harder to get the so-called wrap policy. Although the insurance companies that sell the wrap policy for the most part are not exposed to fire risk, anytime there are two insurance companies being responsible for the same house, there's a strong possibility for there to be infighting no matter what the cause of the loss. Like two lions fighting over a kill, the bigger one usually wins out and the other goes its own way. It could be because CalFair has the combined financial strength 
of the multitude of insurance companies that make it up, and therefore is the biggest dog in the fight should an argument commence. Either that, or just covering a home that is in a high fire risk area is bad business for an insurance company, no matter what their legal exposure is, hence the exodus of the small wrap policy writing companies. That's it for today's Money Matters. I'm watching the markets so you don't have to. Today's newscast expresses my opinion only. It's not that men as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any securities, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or this media outlet its staff members are underwriting. I hold a BA in economics with honors 1979 in California insurance license OL34249, and our insurance agency is BAP Insurance Incorporated. You can email me at news at moneymanagementradio.com or our website, moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kudaberti. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, September 5th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley. MECBuilds.com and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. Support for KVMAR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Mr. Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.